Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey friends, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the assignment for December 9th through 15th. It is the Book of Revelation. Chapters 1 through 11, Glory and Power Be Unto the Lamb Forever. Okay, so (laughs) Revelation. This is the bugaboo that has been waiting for me all year long. I have known that it's coming at the end of this year. Every single book that we've gone through in the New Testament, I have known that we are getting closer and closer to Revelation. And um, it's just been kind of a big giant looming in the corner waiting for me. So we're here now. And it's a little intimidating, I have to tell you. Um, I'm probably going to be just as intimidated when we tackle Isaiah eventually um, in a few years. So Yeah, bear with me. Um, I think, you know, after much prayer and consideration this week, that this episode is not necessarily going to focus on the second coming type stuff. Um, The second coming, the signs of the second coming, the doom and gloom, all that stuff. Um, I've got to have like really good bonus content for that. Um, It's still in the works, so I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is in case it doesn't pan out. But I believe I will have really good bonus content for you in the next week or so about all the signs of the the times and the second coming. So I'm not really going to focus on that. Um, Today, I really want to kind of do more of an introduction to the book of Revelation and also talk about symbolism and why symbolism was used in the book of Revelation and how it can benefit us and why sometimes it makes things confusing for us and kind of just set you up for the book of Revelation. And Come Follow Me has some really good stuff there too. So we are going to be using the Come Follow Me lesson as well, but I will also have extra material too. So um, just be prepared for that. Now, you do need to know it is the book of Revelation. Not book of revelations, not revelations. It's not plural. Uh, A lot of people who study the scriptures get kind of bugged when people refer to it as revelations. Um, It's revelation, singular, not plural, just FYI. All right, sometimes we think of it as a book of fear, Um, lots of doom and gloom. In fact, I told my husband, I'm like, oh, I have to record the revelation episode this week. And he was like, oh, yeah, we're all doomed. We're all going to die. No, no, it testifies of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ overcomes everything. Um, But I think all of us have kind of like a little bit of that doom and gloom association kind of attached to the book of Revelation. So hopefully I'm going to help you overcome a little bit of that. Now, Joseph Smith has a really good quote about this that actually kind of helps me overcome a little bit about that. He has said, prophet, priests, and kings have looked forward with joyful anticipation to the day in which we live and were fired with heavenly and joyful anticipations. They have sung and written and prophesied about our day. And so that's really kind of the attitude I think that we need to take when we attack the book of Revelation. And I know attack kind of has a negative connotation, but I just feel like it's this big giant mountain and we're kind of chipping away at it. And so attack kind of is the word that came to my mind. All right. So Come Follow Me starts out. It says, have you ever struggled to express to others what you have felt? 
it goes on to talk about during a spiritual experience. But I have the situation where I have a difficult time expressing to others things that I'm feeling or thinking all the time. Like that's something that happens to me on a regular basis. I'm like, I know what I'm thinking in my mind, but I'm having a hard time vocalizing it and verbalizing it and getting it out like to people. So I can understand why this might be difficult. An example of this, actually, I was thinking about this earlier this week, and this example came to my mind. When I was about mm, nine or 10 years old, we had this really awesome ice cream shop near our house. And the really awesome ice cream shop was so cool because it had like different and weird kind of flavors that maybe you wouldn't find elsewhere. And so they had this one flavor. It was the flavor of the month, and it was called Spumoni. Now, if you know about Spumoni, you know it's an Italian kind of Neapolitan ice cream, right? So, you know, our American version of Neapolitan has chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla, whereas the Italian version, instead of vanilla, has pistachio. Well, I got Spumoni. I really love Spumoni, but I had never tasted a pistachio-flavored thing before. And so I was trying to explain to my mom what it tasted like, and I just could not find the words to describe what the pistachio ice cream tasted like. Like, I just couldn't find the words. And that was probably one of the most, like the first times in my life, like the biggest impression, I guess, that left on me that I was frustrated that there was a feeling in my mind that I couldn't verbalize. And so I think sometimes when we have spiritual experiences, we kind of have that same feeling of, I can't express to you what pistachio tastes like, you know? And so that's kind of how I feel like when Come Follow Me talks about, it's struggling to express to others what you have felt during a powerful spiritual experience. Everyday language can feel inadequate to describe spiritual feelings and impressions. And I think that may have been what John was facing while he was writing the book of Revelation. Come Follow Me continues, Perhaps this is why John used such rich symbolism and imagery to describe his majestic revelation. He could have simply stated that he saw Jesus Christ. But to help us understand his experience, he described the Savior using words like this, His eyes were as flame of fire. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And we see that in the first chapter of Revelation. Symbolism is so useful in so many ways because it can mean different things to different people. But that also makes it difficult to kind of pin down what John was meaning. Um, An example of how symbolism can mean different things to different people is this quote that I found in The Great Gatsby. And this is one that I've kind of always carried around with me whenever someone talks about symbolism. And, you know, I'm like, well, what symbolizes to me something might symbolize something different to you. So this is the quote from The Great Gatsby. It's talking about Daisy Buchanan. It's the first time that he sees her and he sees her smile. And this is a quote describing Daisy Buchanan's smile. It was one of those rare smiles with a quality of eternal reassurance in it that you may come across four or five times in life. It faced or seemed to face the whole external world for an instant and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. Well, instead of saying Daisy smiled, he's describing like this smile, but what I'm picturing in my mind may be entirely different from what you're picturing in your mind. And so I think that sometimes that's what makes the book of Revelation so difficult for us is what I see in one symbol, you may see in a different way, if that makes sense. Now, an application to this as it applies to the gospel could be the phrase, Christ holds the keys of death and hell. 
Okay, so if we're thinking about Christ holding the keys of death and hell, so we can think about it many different ways. And not only can different people think about it in different ways, but also we, at different points in our life, may think about that phrase in a different way. For example, so Christ holds the keys of death and hell. It could be a call to me to repent because Christ holds the keys of death and hell. He's going to judge me one day. Whereas another point in my life, it could be an example of Christ's authority. Christ holds the keys like the authority over death and hell. And at another point in my life, it can be a comfort as a testimony of Christ's victory over death. Do you see how like symbolism can mean so many different things? And not only to different people, but again, it can mean different things according to you, different points in your life, which doesn't necessarily say it's bad or good. It's just that that's why it makes it a little bit more difficult to pin down. Come Follow Me continues, as you read the book of Revelation, Try to discover the messages John wanted you to learn and feel, even if you don't understand the meaning behind every symbol. Okay, so why would we not understand the meaning behind every symbol? You know, when we say the phrase, Christ holds the keys over death and hell, I mean, we understand keys because keys are something we use on a daily basis to get into our car, right? Maybe a hundred years from now, now that they've got those press start cars, people might not understand keys quite so much, but we understand keys because we use those, right? So there might be some kind of cultural disconnect between some of the things that John is talking about in Revelation and some of the things that we experience in our everyday life. Um, I'm going to give you an example of this. So I'm going to describe a modern object that we are all very familiar with, but I'm going to describe it kind of in John's language. So let's pretend that that John 2,000 years ago was trying to describe this everyday object that we use every day. And in his hand, I saw a shining silver stone. And on the back of the stone was the fruit of the tree of the Garden of Eden. And on the front of the stone, though it was black as night, light radiated out of scales of color as numerous as the colors of the rainbow. And out of the stone came a voice from one who was many miles away. Okay, do you see the symbolism there? I'm describing an iPhone. But to someone who is not familiar with the iPhone, like that would be very difficult to describe. So as John's getting this kind of guided tour throughout history, there may be things that he didn't understand, but he described it in the language of things that he might be familiar with. Things like stones or swords or flames and fire and dragons. You know, different things like that may have been what he used to describe the vision that he had of the Savior and of our entire plan of salvation. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Also, sometimes I think it might make it difficult because we are missing the emphasis that John is placing on different things throughout the book of Revelation. Okay, I want you to think about this sentence. I'm going to say a sentence. It's, I didn't say he stole the money. Now, if I place emphasis on different parts of this sentence, I didn't say he stole the money. I didn't say he stole the money. I didn't say he stole the money. Do you see how the emphasis placed on different words throughout that sentence means different things? That sentence can mean something completely different. So when we have written word, and I'm sure you guys have seen this, when you have an email from someone or a text from someone or maybe something on social media gets totally misconstrued because we don't have the face-to-face vocalization that comes with it to place the emphasis on certain words and to understand really like the facial expressions that go with it and the gestures that go with it and the vocal intonation that goes with each word. That can also make it difficult to understand. You know, we have modern day miscommunications all the time with text, 
why would we not have miscommunications over an ancient text as well? So I think that could also be one of the problems that we have to overcome while we're reading the book of Revelation. Another concern that I have about the book of Revelation is that this is a text that has passed down thousands of years. So is it possible it's gotten garbled? Maybe. Um, I know you all have played that game telephone where you start with one person and you pass a message down 10 people and it ends up all mangled at the end. So what if that happened to this? What if we have some mangled up stuff that's kind of come out in the wash? I would not be surprised if much of the Old Testament and New Testament has had that kind of happen to it. You know, it was handled by so many different people during the different translations. My family actually has a joke that whenever there's a part in the scriptures that doesn't make sense or where something obviously has been left out, we joke that it's the part that the monks barfed on. (laughs) All the monks were translating. If they have that one copy of the New Testament and someone throws up on it, mm, well, you just lost whatever that plain and precious piece of doctrine was. So, So whenever something doesn't make sense, we say it's the part that the monks barfed on. So if there's something in the book of Revelation that doesn't make sense, uh, maybe a monk barfed on it. I don't know. So going back to Come Follow Me, getting back on track. Why might John have compared the church congregations to candlesticks? Why might he have compared Satan to a dragon and Jesus Christ to a lamb? Ultimately, you don't have to understand every symbol in Revelation to understand its important themes, including the most prominent theme of all— Jesus Christ and his followers will triumph over the kingdoms of men and of Satan. And I really want to emphasize that, that this book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus Christ and his triumph over the grave, over Satan, over evil. I think that's why movies about good and evil resonate so well with us. Star Wars, Harry Potter, all those big, giant, epic fights, Lord of the Rings, about good versus evil resonate so much with us. And the book of Revelation is just like another one of those big, epic, good versus evil tales. We just have lots of different symbolism and details kind of in it. So I think sometimes we get so caught up, though, in those details and in the symbols and in the signs of the times, I think we definitely get very doom and gloom about some of the stuff in here that we tend to get wrapped around that, where there are so many beautiful things about Christ in Revelation that we need to focus on as well. I actually found this song because as I was reading, I was reading through Revelation this week and I kept coming across these phrases and I'm like, this is part of a song. I know this song. Like, and it was kind of like floating around in my mind. I'm like, I've heard this song before. What is this song? And I went, I looked it up and yes, the song is called the Revelation song. So you guys are going to hear that someone else has figured out that the book of Revelation is about Christ. So here it is. Revelation song by Phillips, Craig, and Dean.
Okay, so I love that song so much because it takes parts of the book of Revelation and it shows it how we can use it to worship Jesus Christ. Some of the phrases from the song and where they come from in Revelation is, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. That's from Revelation 5.12. Sing a new song to the Lamb is Revelation 5.9. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's Revelation 4.8. Clothed in rainbows of living color, Revelation 4.3. Flashes of lightning, rolls of thunder is Revelation 4.5. Blessings and honor and strength and glory and power be is Revelation 5.12. So do you see like how they can take those weird phrases that sometimes kind of stump us, but still we can turn it towards Christ and the book of Revelation can turn us towards Christ. And that's really where our focus needs to be. So I wanted to share that song because I hope it shows you how we can use the book of Revelation to find Christ in the middle of all the crazy beasts and, you know, the flames and the people giving birth and stuff like that, that Christ is in there and we just have to seek him. And that's what the New Testament is about. That's what Come Follow Me is all about, is about seeking Christ. And so I hope that as you study the book of Revelation, that you will seek Christ and seek out his message that he has specifically for you because it's in there. You can find all kinds of great stuff in there when you are really looking for it. Okay, going into Come Follow Me, the first section in Come Follow Me is how can I make sense of the book of Revelation? (laughs) Come follow me. Good question. That is the question we are asking. Um, It has a really good quote from Joseph Smith that says, Blessed are they who read and they who hear and understand the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time of the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And, you know, Joseph Smith was one of the ones who said that the book of Revelation was plain and one of the most easiest books of scripture to understand. I'm paraphrasing there. But I was like, really? Really? It's kind of like when Nephi says that Isaiah is plain and easy to understand and he loves Isaiah. And I'm like, I just want to punch both of them in the nose because I'm like, just because it's easy to you doesn't mean it's easy to me. I'm struggling here, guys. I think, though, what Joseph Smith was saying is because our church is based so much around symbolism, because we have such a rich history of symbolism, maybe it makes things a little bit easier for us to understand. I don't know. I don't know. But okay, so Come Follow Me says the following questions might provide insights as we study Revelation. So the first one is, who is John? Okay, we've talked about John a lot in previous episodes. We talked about the Gospel of John and in his, in his epistles. But we're going to do a quick rundown just to remind you. John was one of the twelve. He was the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. He was a fisherman. He was the disciple of John the Baptist first before he became the disciple of Jesus Christ. He was one of the inner circle of three who are with the Lord at the raising of Jairus' daughter. He was also at the Mount of Transfiguration and in Gethsemane. In his own gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We've talked about that. From Jesus, he received the name Bonarges, a son of thunder. There are frequent references to him in the accounts of the crucifixion and the resurrection, so he played a prominent role in both of those. In the Acts, he appears very seldomly. We don't see him a whole lot. Paul refers to his meeting with him in Jerusalem in Galatians, and in Revelations 1-9, John tells that he's banished to Patmos, so that's where John is writing from. John is frequently mentioned in Latter-day Revelation. From the Bible Dictionary, a direct quote, You know, the Bible dictionary was the source for all those other facts that I just gave you. But a direct quote from the Bible dictionary says, These passages serve to confirm and to clarify the biblical record of John and also give us a hint to his greatness and the importance of the work the Lord has given him to do on the earth, not only in the time of the New Testament, but also in the last days. 
We especially have a clarification of John 21, 20 through 23, ascertaining that John did not die, but has been allowed to remain on the earth as a ministering servant until the time of the Lord's second coming. Additionally, John also authored the book of John, the epistles of John, as we've talked about. And this is kind of cool. Nephi tells us that John was foreordained to write the book of Revelation. And we see that in 1 Nephi 14, 18 through 27. This is what it says. And it came to pass, the angel spake unto me, saying, Look. And I looked and beheld a man, and he was dressed in a white robe. And the angel said unto me, Behold, one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Behold, he shall see and write the remainder of these things, yea, and also many things which have been. And he shall also write concerning the end of the world. Wherefore, the things which he shall write are just and true. And behold, they are written in a book, which thou beheld proceeding out of the mouth of a Jew. And at the time they proceeded out of the mouth of a Jew, or at the time the book proceeded out of the mouth of the Jew, the things which were written were plain and pure and most precious and easy to the understanding of men. And behold, the things which this apostle of the Lamb shall write are many things which thou hast seen, and behold, the remainder thou shalt see. But the things which thou shalt see hereafter thou shalt not write. For the Lord God hath ordained the apostle of the Lamb of God that he should write them. And also others who have been, to them he hath shown all things, and they have written them, and they are sealed up to come forth in their purity according to the truth which is in the Lamb in the own due time of the Lord unto the house of Israel. And I, Nephi, heard and bear record that the name of the apostle of the Lamb was John, according to the word of the angel. So we have that right there where he's talking about how it was plain and precious. And then, you know, the monks translated it and they barfed on it. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the only thing I can think of to make sense of some of this stuff. But um, it was plain and precious. And John was foreordained to write this. So I think that's really cool that Nephi, hundreds of years before John was even ever born, was understanding that he was going to come forth and have a similar vision to actually what Nephi was having at that moment. He was going to see a lot of the same things Nephi saw, and he was going to be able to write it down, and it was going to be part of a book that would come forth. So that was a really cool, I think, prophecy from Nephi. Okay, so coming back to Come Follow Me, how is the book organized, and what are some of the themes that we need to look for? And it tells you to go see the Bible dictionary under the heading Revelation of John. (laughs) At least it's not John, Revelation of Bible dictionary. Revelation of John, you got it right this time. All right, also known as the Apocalypse. Okay, so here's something I want to talk about, because in other languages, it's still known as the Apocalypse. When we hear the apocalypse, because of Hollywood movies and things like that, we tend to think it means doom and gloom and like asteroids hitting the earth and robots taking over and, you know, I mean, just doom and gloom and destruction and the end of the world is what we kind of associate with apocalypse. But in Greek, the word actually means revealed or uncovered. So that's what it means. I think that they take the word apocalypse from the book of Revelation And because it does have a lot of those, you know, kind of crazy end times type stuff. And that's what Hollywood has used to make that word kind of mean that. But it actually means uncovering. So the book of uncovering is really what John was writing. The message of Revelation is the same of all scripture. Here are some of the themes that we find in Revelation that we would find really in all scriptures. There will be an eventual triumph on this earth of God over the devil. There will be a permanent victory of good over evil. That's what I was talking about earlier. That's what this is all about. There will be a victory of the saints over their persecution, of the kingdom of God over the kingdoms of men and of Satan. Now, there have been other prophets that have also written about these things, these same themes, 
These are Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Paul, Peter, and then there are many others that have also written. The Bible Dictionary says, Such is the theme of Revelation, the details about the beasts, the wars, the angels, the men, etc. contribute to the development of this theme. By a little study, the theme can be perceived even if the details are not completely identified. It may be in this sense that the prophet Joseph Smith said Revelation was one of the plainest books God ever caused to be written. That's where I want to punch him in the nose. However, the more fully the details are understood, the greater will be the appreciation of the theme. If we fail to catch a glimpse of the theme, we fail in our comprehension, no matter how many details we are able to understand. And I think... This is where one of my weaknesses became a strength when I was reading the book of Revelation. I have a really hard time sometimes with details. Like I am a big picture type person. I like big ideas, but not little minute details. Little minute details escape me all the time. Um, That's one of my flaws. I'm just not a detail oriented person. But when I sat down and read the book of Revelation, if I can let go of all the little details, like, yeah, there's four beasts with eyes and stuff like that, but what is the big picture idea of what the four beasts are doing, you know, and what does it mean? Then that helps me a little bit to understand kind of what's going on. So I'm very grateful for that strength, which is sometimes a weakness of mine, but that it was here with me as I was reading Revelation because it helped me understand some of the beauty of this book, really. The Bible Dictionary also gives us some guidelines to understanding, which thank you, Bible Dictionary, because we need some help here. One of the things it says is that Revelation seems to be divided into two separate parts. So there's the first, which is Revelation 1 through 3, and it deals with the things at the time that Revelation was given. So John's specific time, the churches that were there, um, in Revelation 1, 3, it says the time is at hand. So he's talking about his present day and showing how the church is clearly falling into apostasy. The second part is Revelations 4 through 22nd. And it deals with things yet in the future for John, things that have not yet come to pass. It begins with John's time and continues to the end of the world. And note in Revelations 4.1, it says, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So that's when we kind of break off from John's present day and move into the future. Accordingly, it offers a sort of panoramic view of events throughout the ages, of the apostasy, of restoration, judgment, and the millennium. Okay. So some other themes here. A guided tour. An interesting circumstance in Revelation is that an angel comes to John and explains things to him. Sort of a guided tour. This is consistent with the visions given to Nephi, Ezekiel, Daniel, Enoch, who all had similar guided tours. It appears to be a typical visionary experience. And that's when I was reading the book of Revelation. I'm like, you know, There is a little bit of trippy stuff here, but it reminded me a lot of Nephi's vision um, as he was going through and seeing the history of, you know, everything that would happen and things like that. So that's when I was like, oh, Bible Dictionary, you're right. Like, this is kind of a customary visionary experience. Like, you're right. I've seen this before. Bible Dictionary gives us one little helpful hint here at the end where it says, what do the symbols in Revelation represent? See Doctrine and Covenants 77. Okay. Thank you, Bible Dictionary. Actually, the advice to see the Doctrine and Covenants 77 was very, very helpful. Um, It helped me out a lot. I definitely recommend that after you read this week's reading assignment, go find DNC 77 and sit down and read that. It's kind of like a really cool little FAQ section that Joseph Smith kind of put together for the book of Revelation. So definitely go check it out. Okay. Another resource to really kind of explore some of these symbols that I found this week 
that was really cool. If you have kids and teens, they may have already seen this because it's part of the seminary curriculum, but there are three videos in the seminary curriculum. I'll post links to them on my Facebook page and I guess Instagram. Sorry, guys, but I'll try and point you to where they are. But they're really cool. The church produced them and they're kind of like Indiana Jones-esque. Like they've kind of got the Indiana Jones theme where there's like this big professor guy and he's an archaeologist and there's two like student archaeologists with him and they find this big uncovering of this big, I guess, tomb or whatever. And it's a map to the book of Revelation. It's got all the different symbols in there and the professor is going through and they've got a Bible and they're flipping open to the Bible and they're talking about, you know, the seven-headed dragon and things like that and all the seals and what those mean and um, different things like that. So I definitely recommend that you go check those out because they're kind of corny, but they're fun too. And it may help some of the symbols come to life, I guess, for your kids and help them know that not only is the book of Revelation, it's not only just like about these symbols, it's not only about good and evil, but it's about Christ and it will point to Christ. All right, come follow me says, John's vision teaches how Heavenly Father saves his children. It says, as you begin studying the book of Revelation, Think about how the things you read connect to what you know about Heavenly Father's plan for the redemption and exaltation of his children. You could start by reviewing the overview of the plan of salvation and preach my gospel. Then, as you read John's account of his vision, ask yourself questions like, what truths do I learn from Revelation about what Heavenly Father has done to help me return to him? How can this help me understand God's plan for me? It may help you to know in general that much of chapter 12 deals with the topics of premortal life, so you can find premortality and gospel topics to help you out. Then chapters 6 through 11, 13 through 14, 16 through 19, describe mortal events in the history of the earth. So that's like your seals and stuff there. And then chapters 2 through 3, 15, 20 through 22, describe the final judgment and the glory that awaits the faithful in the eternal realms. Okay, so let's back up, rewind. We're going to go back into chapter 12. I found this really interesting because I've noticed something that has happened in the last few years. You know, we, I guess me, especially as I've grown up in the church, you know, we hear all about the council in heaven and, you know, we were given two plans and we chose the one that would give us agency and we came to earth. But if you go and you start looking around on churchofjesuschrist.org and even in preach my gospel, it points us to preach my gospel and you go and you look it up. um, There's no mention of the council in heaven, like it's disappeared. In fact, the only place that I could find an official mention about the Council in Heaven that was a current resource, it wasn't like a previous resource, was in the Gospel Topics topic, Premortality. That's the only place it's mentioned. Preach My Gospel doesn't touch on it. And there have been several other places I've looked for it too that I haven't been able to find it. But Gospel Topics, Premortality does mention the Council in Heaven. It talks about our life before we were born on this earth. And in our pre-earth life, we lived in the presence of our Heavenly Father and His Spirit children. We didn't have a physical body. And in this existence, we attended a council with Heavenly Father's other spirit children. At that council, Heavenly Father presented His great plan of happiness. In harmony with the plan of happiness, the pre-mortal Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the Son of the Father in the Spirit, covenanted to be our Savior. Those who followed Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ were permitted to come to the earth to experience mortality and progress towards eternal life. Lucifer, another spirit son of God, rebelled against the plan and sought to destroy the agency of man. He became Satan, and he and his followers were cast out of heaven and denied the privileges of receiving a physical body and experiencing mortality. Throughout our pre-mortal life, we developed our identity and increased our spiritual capabilities. 
Blessed with the gift of agency, we made important decisions, such as the decision to follow our Heavenly Father's plan. These decisions affected our life then and now. We grew in intelligence and learned to love the truth, and we prepared to come to earth where we would continue to progress. Okay, so that's just a rundown of what happened in our pre-mortal life. So that is the modern version. Let's go back to John and Revelation 12 and see what he has to say about it. Now, as I read this to you, what I want you to kind of do is, I I don't even know how to quite explain this, but to me, it was helpful to kind of feel like, you know, those magic eye pictures where if you kind of relax and kind of let your eyes relax, then all of a sudden the picture becomes clear. So don't focus on the details of this. But what I just read to you is our modern day story of what happened in the premortal council. Now listen to chapter 12 and see if you can kind of hear an echo of that. Okay, so Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Here we go. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold, the great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Okay, pause. We're in verse four that we're pausing here. So we have basically all of mankind. And I think we're kind of represented there by the woman. You know, she's getting ready to give birth to a child. We were getting ready to be birthed to come to earth. And then there's an opposing force, the great red dragon with the seven heads. And he's pulling down a third of the stars of heaven. He took away a third of his heavenly father's children with him as he went. Picking back up in five. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Obviously talking about Jesus Christ there. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God. They should feed her there 2,203 score days. I have no idea what that means, but verse six, that's just what it says. So moving on. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So obviously we're seeing there Satan cast out of heaven. Christ victorious over Satan there. So now Satan has but a short time here on earth to corrupt us and bring us away from Christ, right? So that's kind of where I saw the pre-mortal council in heaven. And it's interesting to me because I'm like, well, what do other religions think about Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon? Like, what do they think this represents? And I'm not entirely sure what they think. I didn't even go out and research it because I I know there's too much woo stuff around Revelation. So um, I didn't want to add to that. But I wonder sometimes what they think about what that all means. Um, I was talking to a friend earlier this year. And we, I mentioned something about the premortal council in heaven. And she looked at me kind of like, huh? Because, you know, other Christian denominations don't 
teach that. And so it was interesting to me. I'm like, okay, so where is the basis for this? And that's when I really started going in and doing my research of like, okay, so where is the premortal council mentioned? And this is one of the places I think that it's mentioned. But do you see how like kind of like relaxing, you know, not getting so caught up in the numerology and in the images and stuff like that, but kind of relaxing yourself and kind of saying, okay, so I can kind of see what this is referencing, how that kind of worked. I don't know, at least it helped me. I don't know if that helps anybody else out there listening, but it helped me kind of understand it a little bit. All right, so let's talk about the chapters 6 through 11, 13 through 14, 16 through 19 that describe our mortal life and the events in the history of the earth. So there is those seven seals that we read about. The seven seals, and I'm not talking about the seals that go, I'm talking about seals that, you know, if we have a book and back in John's time, a book would actually be a scroll and it would be sealed. That would be where the seals come from. And the seven seals actually come in in chapter five, verse one. And it says, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. So picture a scroll and it's got seven different seals kind of sealing it shut. Um, one of the things I love about this verse, and you know, when we talk about what kind of special messages does Revelation contain for us, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. To me, the spirit testified immediately that we are all in God's hands, that the history of this world is in God's hands, that he has us in his hands and he's guiding our lives for good, that we are encompassed in his plan that his plan is what's going to unfold for us. And that to me was incredibly comforting. Um, And not not even just in his hands, but in his right hand. We are so important to him that we are in his symbolic important hand and that he's cradling us there and he's got us. So I don't know. That was a symbol that leapt out to me that was like, Lexi, you know, everything that's happening in your life is for a reason. And I've got you in my hand and not just any hand, but I've got you in my right hand. You are important enough to me to care that much about. So that was a testimony to me, um, something that kind of came out of that symbolism there. Now, again, I don't want to get too caught up in like the what the different times and signs of the times and everything means. So we're going to kind of move on from there and go back to Come Follow Me. And the next section in Come Follow Me says, Jesus Christ knows me personally and will help me overcome my challenges. And it talks about how the Savior's words were in Revelation 2 and 3 to John were helping him overcome some of the struggles that were happening that in his day to the churches there. And it was interesting to me how he went in and he identified each one of the church congregations and the things unique to them that they were struggling with. So it shows that Christ knows us individually and he knows our struggles. So Come Follow Me says, These chapters can remind you that the Savior understands your strengths and your weaknesses, and wants to help you overcome your earthly challenges. What does Jesus Christ promise to those who overcome? He promises to be with us. And also, the entire book of Revelation promises this, that no matter what we go through, no matter how much Satan fights against us, God and goodness and Jesus Christ will triumph in the end. And everything will be okay. My mom and I have a saying that everything will be okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Right? That We know that that's how it's going to turn out. So that is the promise of Jesus Christ, that everything will be okay. And that is beautiful to me. What changes do you feel prompted to make to overcome your challenges? And that is from Come Follow Me asks that question. So you guys know I've talked ad nauseum about the difficulties I've had the school year of adjusting to a new job in a new environment. And so as I have struggled with that, 
you know, that's a question I brought to the Lord over and over again. Lord, how can I overcome this? And it's been interesting to me, the revelation that he has given me hasn't been all at once. Like, Lexi, you need to do this checklist of things and you will overcome this like immediately. But it's been like little drops of revelation here and there. Like the first one, and I've talked about this in some of my episodes, was I had the revelation that I needed to pray for help and strength to kind of like uphold me. And I found that strength in priesthood blessing. And I also found that strength from the other side of the veil and family history work. Um, Another way that a revelation that kind of touched my life this year was during conference, Elder Johnson talked about reading the Book of Mormon every day, every day, every day. And I'd been so heavily invested in Come Follow Me in the New Testament. I hadn't been reading the Book of Mormon every day. I'd just been reading New Testament. And so I added the Book of Mormon back in at least one chapter of the Book of Mormon into my life every night. And that made a huge difference, I feel like, in the spirit that I'm able to carry with me every day. So again, that was another little drop of revelation. Then there was another one. And, you know, I talked about this in a previous episode. I know it's totally hokey, but (laughs) there's these positive affirmation things that you I've got this audio. You can get it through Amazon Music, but I listen to it every morning on the way into work. And, you know, it just has these positive messages like, you know, I'm a radiant being full of love and light. And you repeat it out loud. But as I'm going to work and I'm listening to these cheesy, you know, positive affirmation things and I'm saying them out loud, I think about how Heavenly Father is using me to be a radiant being full of love and light and how he's using that love and light that I have in my life to reach out to those around me. And as I say it out loud, and as I kind of talk myself through that, then I become full of love and light and I'm able to share that with others. And so that was another little drop of revelation. Another drop of revelation was that I needed to go back into therapy. And this was really hard for me because my counselor, who I'd been seeing for years, and I'd actually stopped going to her for a couple years now because I was doing so good, and I felt like I needed to go back to therapy. She actually has left the country. She's doing some kind of mission trip in Kuwait where she's counseling women who have been sexually abused. But I mean, which is great. I mean, that's a huge, important thing. But that means that she's not here for me. So, you know, me being selfish. I didn't know who to go to for therapy then. I, I, you know, I feel like that relationship between a client and therapist is so important. And it's important to really click with a therapist. But I didn't know who to go to. And so part of my prayer to my Heavenly Father was, you know, help me find those who will support me and uphold me. And I think one of those people I need to uphold me is a therapist. Heavenly Father, I don't know where to go for therapy. And so that was something that I was praying about pretty regularly. Um, It was, you know, kind of surfacing in my prayers, I guess. And finally, I just sat down with my insurance list and the therapists who are covered under my insurance. I just started at the top and I just started calling. And it was interesting to me as I was going along calling the different therapists to see if they're accepting new patients. Either the ones who are listed as accepting new patients weren't, or someone didn't answer the phone, or they were busy or on the days that I needed it, the times didn't work out. I mean, one by one by one, I went through about seven different therapists and none of them were available. And I was like, what is going on? And finally, I I called my doctor and I'm like, hey, do you have a therapist that you would even recommend? And they're like, oh, yeah, we've got a therapist here in the office. That's really great. And I'm like, well, I know all the therapists in your office are really busy and I don't expect them to have any openings. And they're like, oh, no, she's got one next week. And I'm like, what? What? Like next week? Really? I can get in that soon? Because usually you have to wait like a while before you can get in and see, especially the really good ones. So I was a little skeptical about this. But I went in and I saw her in the first like session that we had together. 
she was able to help me with things that in years of therapy, I had never even touched on. Like she was able to figure out things about me and things that I needed to work on that I didn't even know about. And I felt the spirit so strongly in that session. I believe it was revelation to call my doctor and ask for a referral. And then for that to all work out, to find somebody who can help uphold me as I'm going through a trial. Um, that was a huge blessing to me and a huge testimony to the power of revelation, also the power of my heavenly father, having my life in his right hand, making things work out for my good. And that made me think about revelation in general, you know, moving kind of away from the book of the revelation. But also just recently, we've had all these big revelations about the new youth program and, you know, the goal setting for young men and young women and primary and everything in that new youth program focuses around revelation. We are guiding our youth and our teens to become so focused on receiving personal revelation that grownups, we got to follow them. Like we have to be receiving personal revelation for ourselves as well. And it brought me back to the talk by Russell M. Nelson in April of 2018, revelation of for the church and revelation for our lives. And he talked about One of the things the Spirit has repeatedly impressed upon my mind since my new calling as the president of the church is how willing the Lord is to reveal his mind and will. The privilege of receiving revelation is one of the greatest gifts of God to his children. Through the manifestations of the Holy Ghost, the Lord will assist us in all our righteous pursuits. I remember being in an operating room. I have stood over a patient, unsure of how to perform an unprecedented procedure, and experienced the Holy Ghost diagramming the technique in my mind. Okay, pause. This is Lexi, not Russell M. Nelson. But I've had a similar experience. I remember a kid coming to me and saying, Miss Austin, I need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And so we sat down and he started talking. And I remember being there and just in my, the back of my mind being like, oh, Heavenly Father, I don't know what to say to this kid. He's going through something and I don't know what to say to him, but you do. And I remember at that moment, the words came and I knew exactly what I needed to tell that child. And it was amazing to me to have that same kind of similar experience that President Nelson did, but in my profession, you know, he had a revelation, you know, according to his profession, the heart surgery. And I had one according to my profession, working with children, you know, so Revelation can come at work, but it can also come in our personal lives as well. President Nelson continues, As a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, I prayed daily for revelation and gave thanks to the Lord every time he spoke to my heart and mind. If the prophet of the church has to pray daily and ask for revelation, so do we. I mean, that is something that we need to be praying for every single day. President Nelson continues, Brothers and sisters, how can we become the men and women, the Christ-like servants the Lord needs us to be? How can we find answers to questions that perplex us? If Joseph Smith's transcendent experience in the sacred grove teaches us anything, is that the heavens are open and God speaks to his children. The prophet Joseph Smith set a pattern for us to follow in resolving our questions. Drawn to the promise of James, that if we lack wisdom, we may ask of God, the boy Joseph took his question directly to his heavenly father. He sought personal revelation and seeking opened up this last dispensation. In like manner, what will you seeking open for you? What wisdom do you lack? What do you feel an urgent need to know and understand? Follow the example of the prophet Joseph. Find a quiet place you can go regularly. Humble yourself before God. Pour out your heart to your Heavenly Father. Turn to Him for answers and for comfort. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses, the very longings of your heart. And then listen. 
write the thoughts that come to your mind, record your feelings, and follow through with the actions you are prompted to take. As you repeat this process day after day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. I think about, you know, okay, and end quote, right? Um, I think about the Apostle John. What was he praying that he was able to receive this revelation? I wonder that sometimes. You know, I don't know. But President Nelson continues, how can we receive this revelation? Nothing opens the heavens quite like the combination of increased purity, exact obedience, earnest seeking, daily feasting on the words of Christ in the Book of Mormon, and regular time committed to temple and family history work. To be sure, there are many times when you feel as though the heavens are closed. I have felt that. I'm raising my hand right now. But I promise that as you continue to be obedient, expressing gratitude for every blessing the Lord gives you, pause, and that's another thing I felt through Revelation that I need to be doing is expressing gratitude to Heavenly Father for my blessings, and I've tried to do that more and more every day. Okay, unpause. (laughs) And as you patiently honor the Lord's timetable, you will be given the knowledge and understanding you seek. Every blessing the Lord has for you, even miracles, will follow. That is what personal revelation will do for you. And I, Lexi, testify that that is the truth because it has happened in my own life and it can happen to you too. So I want to add my own testimony to the words of President Nelson that revelation is there for us, just like it was for John as he was writing the book of Revelation, that there are beautiful parts of the book of Revelation if we can get past kind of the weirdness you know, that we kind of find in there and that there will be beautiful things in there for us. One of the beautiful points of doctrine that appeared to me this week, you know, I'm an animal lover. I have pets, but I've always had pets. And that means as I've grown older that I have pets that have passed away. And it's been heartbreaking to lose some of those animals. Um, I just really love my animals as, you know, they grow with me. And in Revelation 5, 11 through 14, we read that animals are resurrected from the dead and there are animals in heaven and they are also redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful revelation that is, because what would heaven be? What would a beautiful paradise be after this life if we didn't have our beloved fur babies with us, you know, our beloved companions who are here on earth who love us so unselfishly and with that pure, innocent love of Christ why would they not be with us? You know, um, even my crazy, I joke about my crazy cat who's semi-evil. Um, even her, she will be redeemed by the blood of Christ. And that was a beautiful and comforting point of doctrine to me too. So yeah, as you're reading Revelation, again, look past some of the, the kind of weird stuff and the num- numerology and stuff like that. Don't get caught up in that, in the woo kind of, of the book of Revelation but instead focus on the beautiful doctrines, find the symbols that stand out to you. And what does it testify to you about your life? And you will find personal revelation within the book of Revelation. So um, as I said, I'm working on some bonus content. I'm really hopeful it's going to pan out and it will be really cool if it does. So have a great week, y'all. I will see you guys next week. Bye y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. 
For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.